Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. Last week of our sweet November. Oh, yeah, sweet November. That's a Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron movie. It's a good movie. It's a good date night movie. Check it out. Anyways, let me get to this business here. As I said on top, my name is Aaron Deliosa. This is an Immigrant's Life. Check us on all the social media. Listen to the podcast on YouTube and however you listen to your podcast. Oh, and uh, as I said last week, if you give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, to be honest, uh, I will read it and give you a shout-out here. So, uh, this week's review is from Chad Q 13 He said, Very interesting podcast, five-star. Great podcast, just listened to it on my way home from work, and it went so fast even though I was stuck in traffic. I'm a French-Canadian born and raised in Quebec, and it's very interesting to hear about how people from other cultures, countries, were able to adapt to a completely new environment. Looking forward to listen to more podcasts. Thank you, Chad Q13. We appreciate you. So yeah, if you want a shout-out or if you just want to be kind, go ahead and leave us a review and I will read it here. Speaking of being kind, this week's guest is one of the kindest and funniest comedian I've ever met. And that's what her and her comedy show Kickback MTL is all about. Champs, this episode is one for the vault. We talk about comedy, weight loss, and the challenges that comes with it. So... Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a producer, a host, and hilarious comedian. She got the body of the girl from Ipanema and has a soul of a Greek yaya. Everyone, please welcome Eva Alexo. Oh my gosh. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Eva Alexo. I'm a local comedian out here in Montreal and I produce the biggest English comedy show in the scene called The Kickback. And if you'd like to hang out with me, you can come on November 27th. Send us a message and you can follow us on kickback.mtl. Yeah. First of all, thank you for coming on, Eva. I really do appreciate it. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I'm happy I'm not as hungover as I was planning to be. Yeah. After last night, it turns out I'm just exhausted. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Was busy last night? Was crazy, the show? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, producing shows are always crazy, but yesterday was definitely a, a high-stress one because it was our first kickback secret session. So I'm, I'm trying to implement this new type of show that's a lot more low-key, a lot more low-maintenance. Um, I literally wanted to throw a show in my house, but it couldn't work out, so I found this other loft up the street. And so it was like a last-minute venue, and it all worked out great. I mean, the people that support us are just wonderful human beings in general. So I wasn't too worried about their experience, but as a as a event planner, I was like, holy shit, I, I'm really lucky. And I'm pretty sure God loves me because with – you know, the cops ended up showing up at the after party and I had left with a friend of mine to go get a hot dog. Hmm. And on our, it was probably like a five minute window. We left the after party, went to go get a hot dog. And as we're coming back, eight cops are like walking into the venue. 
to shut it down. And we don't know how apparently this guy's like a legend and knows everyone and, and whatever, but I, I missed the bullet by this much. So afterwards I was like, I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to, I'm going to go home to my dog and my man and I'm going to just chill out for the rest of the night. I have a podcast tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah. And exactly. Some weirdo on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> We're all weird people on the internet. I'm a weird person on the internet. Ah, but at least you're cooler, you know? I love your videos. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's if that's the vibe I give off on social media, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> that's the best, man. Stay weird always, you know? Yeah. So I love to talk to you about more about kickback and comedy and all that stuff. But let's talk about Eva. Let's talk about your background. Where were you born? So I'm Greek and Brazilian. It's actually a really funny story. So my dad was born in Athens, Greece, and my mom was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But we actually found out she was adopted because she was raised by two Greek parents, but she was very Amazonian looking. <laughs> and, you know, my grandparents were blonde hair and blue eyed. So long story short, she did she did an ancestry DNA test and she's actually part Brazilian Portuguese and half French from France, so I'm a snob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, parlez-vous français? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> How did she react when she found that out? Um, she actually took it pretty, pretty hard, very, really? very hard. Well, Why? yeah, because she was raised Greek all her life, right? She had two parents who who said that they were hers her entire life, and they she never heard it from their mouths after they passed away, so. When you go your whole life thinking that you're the biological daughter of somebody and after they've passed away, you find out that you're not. You have a lot of unanswered questions. I always knew personally. I mean, like, look at me. I was like, nah, everyone thinks I'm Colombian. Like, you do have I, there's the no features. Way I'm what are you talking about? Huh? You have the features. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. Yeah. Maybe like the eyes and the anger, but no, I that's... don't know about <laughs> And the love for the food. Yeah, the love for the food and the people and also the anger for the food and the people. All right. So let me gauge how Greek are you. Which okay. one do you celebrate the hardest? Your name day or your actual birthday? <laughs> uh, that's a trick question because name it, it, it's a trick question. And I'll tell you why. It depends on what your name is. Mm-hmm. So my middle name is Maria. Mm-hmm. I get... I get I get Mother Mary. That's a party. <laughs> you get hey, the virgin. Man, she's a virgin. And you're a virgin. And then my real name is Evangelia, uh, which means bringer of good news in Greek. But it was also the the saint, apparently, or the Evangelos, which is the masculine version of my name, um, was the warrior who was able to get us independence from the Ottoman Empire mm-hmm. or like Greek was separate. So March 25th is our independence day. And that's my name day for my real name. So that's just like, <laughs> but as you get older, no one cares about your name day. Like it's fun when you're a kid. Yeah. Well, to be honest, no one cares about your birthday as soon as you get older. Yeah, that's true. I don't think you even care about your birthday as you get older. Like whenever no. my birthday rolls around, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know how old are you, but I'm like, when I turned 21, I was like, you know, like who cares after? When you turn twenty-one, you said when, who cares? this is like hundred years ago when I turned twenty-one. I was like, 
who cares I don't after know, that? Man, you're Asian. You could be 160, <laughs> and I would have. Hey, it's the rice, bro. Like, it's the rice. You know what I mean? I don't know how old Norm is, and honestly, I don't want to know. <laughs> we have like it's even... either between 20 to 60. No, it's between 20 and 165. And okay. there's no well, in between. For the record, I am turning 40 next year. Of course you are. <laughs> and you have the skin of a porcelain doll. Thank you. Uh, I told you it's the rice. It's the magic rice. Is that what I... I mean, you're, <sighs> you're beautiful. You have beautiful skin. I don't know how are you, but... I'm 28. But yeah, you look younger. I'm wondering what cream you're using on your face, but apparently it's just rice. Nothing. We just... I don't use cream. What are you talking about? I'm a dude. We don't use cream on our faces. I'm just a dude. I just wake up. My skin's perfect. <laughs> 15 in one soap on my balls and my mouth. <laughs> I don't use... I don't... By the way, I don't use soap like bar soap. You don't need to brag, dude. I put a jade roller on my face today to, to, to feel better about myself. What is that? Is that the thing that like... like like, Apparently, it massages your face. White women in Hollywood love listen it. Listen to this shit. Look at my face. I'm all right. I mean, I'm not fucking Ryan Gosling over here, but I'm okay. You're, you're genetically superior. <laughs> Skin-wise, yes, I agree. <laughs> Just like you guys are the best at everything. Everything that North Americans get to enjoy is because you guys did it first. Yeah, on the back. <laughs> I don't know about that. So you have this bubbly personality. You've always been like that? Yeah. Even when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always. But as a kid, apparently I was either very, very, very happy or very, very pissed off. Um, I'm wondering if there's an in-between. But most of the time I'm happy. Mm. Like all the time. Well, yeah. But when I'm upset, I'm upset. Like when I'm upset, I like. Mm. Yeah. That's why you're a comedian. And, and I'll only I'll only ever like be mean or get mad at someone if I see them being mean to someone else. Cause like I'm witty enough to defend myself. Like I don't like whatever. But if I see someone else being mean to another person who like can't seem to defend themselves as well, it's the only situation where you're gonna see me a little more snarky and hey, back off. Like I don't like bullies. I don't fuck with bullies at all. You're the bully of the bullies. Yeah, yeah. I hate that too. I hate uh, when bullies bully other kids. Because I'm, I like to think I'm witty too. I'm like quick with the words. Like you'll say something to me. Trust me, there's going to be fucking knives coming to you. You know what I mean? I'm not going to throw hands or anything like that because I'm not fucking, I'm not 300 pounds, but the words are going to come and it's going to stick. You have to be 300 pounds to throw knives? I don't know. I'm talking about like, you know, throw hands. You know what I mean? Did you get in trouble a lot when you were younger? What did I get? I got in trouble a lot for being a klutz when I was a kid. And and when I was a kid, I I uh, I lied quite a bit, which is why I, I was a comedian. Yeah, like I told everyone in my grade one class that I owned all 101 Dalmatians <laughs> and that they simply rented my puppies from me. And those kids deserve it because they believed me as fucking idiots. No, you now, only I only have one. one nomination, but at <laughs> least it's my dream come true. But and then there was like this other time when I was twelve, I heard I overheard like one conversation of my parents mm. being like, 
I think we're going to move to Chicago. And then I just took that and I ran with it. Like I just told everyone I was moving to Chicago and I had just watched Max Keeble's big move. So I was like living in it. Like I thought I was Max Keeble. This is fucking embarrassing. But the things I got in trouble a lot were, were stuff like that. Like if I lied, it was like to either protect someone. So the worst I ever got in trouble was a friend of mine wanted to go to a movie to see Wally with a boy and it was a nine o'clock. I am only allowed a 7 p.m. movies. Mm-hmm. So I lied to my mom and did the whole like, I'm sleeping at a friend's house. Uh, she's sleeping at ours, whatever, whatever. My immigrant mother had an instinct, an instinct that I was lying. Of course. <laughs> no clues, just a gut feeling her kids telling some bullshit. Yeah, and I really thought I was clever. I'm like, how will she ever find out? I'm not at Mary Eve's house. Like, now that I'm older, I'm like, I bet just looking at me, you would have just been like, my kid's dumb. My kid's dumb. She does not know how to lie to save her life. Like, I, I almost want to let her go because she's so bad at lying. But um, they ended up, like, calling the cops on me because Greeks are just dramatic like that. So if they <laughs> think the child is missing call the Calvary. So I was walking home with a boy at what, like 10 PM. I was 15 years old from the call of Kirkland and doesn't a cop car roll up and say, are you Evangelia Alexopoulos? So I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, your family thinks you're in a ditch. <laughs> and I got taken home. I was grounded for a very long Time. Holy shit. I wasn't like a bad kid. I went to church. I was in youth group. Like I spent my Fridays at youth group and my Sundays at church by choice. Like I wasn't, I was never a rambunctious. I've always been, you know, I like to treat people nice. I mm. never had a click. Like I was friends with everybody. I like to be chill with everyone. I only really ever got in trouble when I was like telling stupid lies because I'm not capable of lying. Like my nostril will flare and I'm like, and everyone knows, like, I just, I'm not capable. Or the truth will slip out, like, a minute after I've... <laughs> it's the guilt. Yeah, I was raised with it. That's all I know is guilt and stress. It's what, like, Greek blood is made out of. It's the Catholic guilt. It's the Orthodox guilt. It's worse. <laughs> so, wait, what happened to the boy when uh, he got picked up by the police? He got the shit scared. They left him? They left him. He had to walk home alone. I was just trying to wingman. Was the boy your like your boyfriend or just No, it was just like he was the brother of the girl I was wingmanning. Mm. We were just walking home being like, we did it. We got away with it. We got to go see fucking Wally. And meanwhile, my family thinks I've been kidnapped and murdered in a ditch. I love that your mom called the police. All the time. All the time. These people call the police all the time. Or the fire department because they heard a weird smell. So then we're the crazy neighbors that have the fucking department where all the time people think we're having a barbecue. That's awesome, man. And then, no, my mother just smelled something funny in the vents. Mm-hmm. So all the firemen show up, we show up. She's accidentally given my aunt kiwi that she's allergic to. Police show up, firemen show up, then they hit on the firemen because they're sexy. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's that's just a crazy family. And that's why I, I never have... I, I couldn't write a joke if I tried. 
You don't have to. I don't. I can't. I don't. There's nothing I could come up with in my brain that hasn't happened. Or funnier. Or funnier. My family just takes care of it. <laughs> like, don't worry. Here's a here's a traumatic experience for you to carry with you later. That's funny, man. But how were you in school? Were you good in school? I was terrible in school. Yeah. Oh yeah, because my my mother loved me to stupidity. Yeah, she was she was a great mom. But I had okay, just to back up. I know for a fact I have ADHD. Maybe I'm even autistic. There's something up. There's definitely something up. But like I find a lot of immigrant families don't believe in learning disabilities because it means that there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And God forbid, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're just artistic. I'm like, no, I'm autistic. <laughs> like I need, I need to go see a doctor. Like I'm mm. doing some weird. Like I, I. Can you guys just take me? I can't concentrate. Like if you look at my report cards, it's embarrassing. Mm. They're like Evangelia is telling stories in class again. Evangelia is very exuberant with her stories in class again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evangelia is late on her homework again. Like. I never was able to hand in shit up, but I was great at gym and I was great at theater. Mm-hmm. Easy shit. And, and and England. Oh, I was okay at history too. Math, fuck off. Yeah, that's for you guys, Asians. No, no, no. Math. no I'm we terrible had, with math too, man. Full, we, I was good at philosophy. I was very emotionally intelligent, but when it came to like science and math and stuff, I'm like two plus two is banana. Like I don't know anything, <laughs> and it was very hard. Math is hard and it's very discouraging too because you really think you have the right answer and then you have the wrong answer and you just start to slowly spiral. Yeah. But uh, were you clinically diagnosed? No, I never went to the doctor. Well, now, now can... I got to get under the counter Vyvanse and I'm, that's how I knew I really had a problem. I took a Vyvanse from a friend once and I was like the woman I was meant to be. You're like so focused, driven. Oh Whoa. <laughs> Should I become an engineer? Like, yeah. <laughs> You're like that movie Limitless. That's what it felt like. I was like, oh, wow, I really have a problem because I don't have a problem on Vyvanse. But you graduated high school. Yeah, high school, but I didn't graduate nothing else. I Did went, but I you... was just like, meh, I, 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 I can't concentrate. Like, I'm too steadfast. So I, I went to photography school at, you know, at uh, Ryerson. Mm-hmm. in Toronto for a bit and then I went to Concordia and I was also I was also just trying to do what everyone else was doing even though I knew school wasn't for me mm-hmm. you know but all my friends were in marketing at Concordia it's like I wanted to be in marketing at Concordia but it wasn't for me like it really wasn't I was very naturally like I was a natural hands-on type of learner I wasn't a sit down and listen type of learner like I can't concentrate I can't write notes for an hour straight Did you finish in Concordia? No. Mm. I just started working straight in marketing and everything I've ever learned from marketing was because I started working in it and I had a natural knack for it. Mm. But everything I learned was on the field and it still got me to the same places that people who have degrees yeah. have gotten. Like I still was able to be a marketing manager for a company because I've just been working in the field so long, which sucks because mm. a lot of people study and are in so much debt and like can't get an entry level job and i feel like i cheated because i was no you didn't you know. you're just 
smarter than them. Yeah, but I can't, I'd fail a test. Like one time I took, <laughs> one time in university, uh, I was with a friend of mine I went to Christian camp with. And I was like, man, I wish I could take Adderall like everyone else and just like study. Like, I wish I could just know what that's like and focus. And he's like, I got something just like Adderall, but it's not Adderall. Do you trust me? Mm. I was like, of course I trust you. I went to Christian camp with you. How can I not trust you? So he hands me this little white pill and there's like palm tree on it. Mm. And I'm like, why is there a palm tree on this pill? He's like, shut up and put it in your mouth. I was like, oh. <laughs> and so I popped it. He's like, ha, you just did speed. I was like, <laughs> my ass was high for two days. Okay. I was high. I, and the worst part is that I was very focused. But what happens is with those kinds of drugs, like, you get focused on the wrong thing mm. you're doing the wrong thing for like eight hours so what i was doing was i was rewriting all my notes like color coordinated numerical all the lines were straight with my ruler but i wasn't studying anything i was just making it pretty for six hours so i didn't actually know what the fuck i was reading or studying i was just like and this line is going to be purple and this line is going to be pink and I, I need my ruler to make sure it's straight and, and everything is very nicely written down. But I wasn't actually studying and reading the words. I was just like, lines. Holy crap. Like it was a painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said Christian camp. Let's talk about that. Like, how was your experience there? Did you, was it like a sleepaway camp? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Mm. I loved it. And I, I do think that it's a big part of... of uh, and as a big part of my like Christian upbringing as actually a big part of my comedy mm. and my style of comedy and the way I talk, because we weren't allowed to swear. We weren't allowed to make like sex jokes or anything like that. So mm. we really found joy in innuendos and like sneaky stuff. So growing up, you, we were never allowed to say or like do certain things. So we would always find more witty ways to like compare them together or stuff like that. It was wild yeah you made made you more clever yeah I mean, you, you have to be very clever because you're not allowed to say penis you have to say like mop shaft or like <laughs> pleasure swizzle like <laughs> how long was the camp it was two weeks but i used to i used to try to extend it like i used to work in the kitchen and wash dishes for free all summer just so i could stay longer wow, that's awesome I, I guess you really enjoyed it oh yeah Oh yeah, there's a lake. There's all kinds. So we played. What are those? Mission Impossible was a really fun game we played when we were kids. Did you try to hit on guys or like sneak in the guy's cabin? Oh, I was I was definitely in love with a boy every week. <laughs> wait, wait, the same no. dude, the same boy, or different boy every week? Different boy every week because <laughs> they'd come on rotation. So. <laughs> But I was never like, I was never a cool, like, I was not the girl that like boys had crushes on growing up. Like I was very much um, like the best friend or I was the girl in the schoolyard that used to like run and be the messenger and be like, hey, Matthew, Kim has a crush on you. You like Kim back? And she told me not to make it obvious, but I'm really bad at communication. 
<laughs> then I'd run back and like I was very I was a tomboy so I always had a lot of friends but I, I never really had boyfriends nor was like good at it like my first boyfriend lasted 45 minutes it drove me nuts is it because you didn't want a boyfriend or I just found them annoying and I was very prude as well I was very sex after marriage at the time so I broke up with one boy for touching my butt now I'm like spank me baby choke me a little <laughs> I want to talk to you about something Your weight loss surgery. Oh, yeah. What made you decide to take that step in your life? Um, it, was more, it was more my doctor and, and my parents. So I was not always big. I gained, I was, it's hard to say because I was always a full-figured girl. Like I hit puberty in grade five. So by grade eight, I looked like a full-on woman. So compared to the other girls in my grade who were later bloomers and, you know, very tiny, I felt big. So I always felt chubby. I always felt this because, like, the girls I was in class with hadn't hit puberty yet. So they were boards. You know, we were all 12. But I looked like a woman very early. Um, I really gained all my weight after college. And I developed a problem with my thyroid. And I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I kept partying, I kept eating, and I got depressed and, you know, some family issues. And it got to the point where I was very unhappy and, and I didn't recognize myself anymore. So I, I really wasn't one of those big people who loved my curves and loved me. I had a great personality. I liked, I loved myself as a person a lot, but physically I did not like myself at all. I was very, very sad and I was very unhealthy because I felt, Um, I felt like there, there was no fix. I had a very bad emotional relationship with food. Mm. So I was an emotional eater, which is, it's almost the same thing as taking heroin. Like you need to eat, like you need that fix. Um, and the doctor was like, look, like you need to live longer. You need this surgery. I know that you've, you've wanted to do it the natural way and I've tried, but it didn't work. Um, he said, and it was basically that it was an ultimatum. Like you need to get the surgery. You're getting the surgery. You need to live longer. Like if you want to have kids, this is what you got to do. And, and so I got it and, and it changed my life. And it's given me a lot of perspective on, you know, being able to live life as, as a bigger person. It's a completely different world. And then, you know, the world of a smaller person is equally an extremely different world and both have their pros and cons. For sure. What kind of surgery did you take? I had the uh, bariatric sleeve surgery. So they take out like half of your stomach. And they, and yeah, so I, my stomach is about, my stomach's about this, this big. So I can really only have a few bites of food and that's how you lose weight. But it feels like an entire meal. Wow. So you can't eat a lot. No, I'm, I'm a very good date. <laughs> well, personality wise, yes, definitely. And I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, finance-wise too. Yeah, for everyone else, not for <laughs> me. I mean, I still have to pay for a full plate and have two bites. But what if you want to eat more? What happens? Like, I'll throw up. I'll get very sick and I'll be in a lot of pain. Mm. How does that make you feel? Um, sometimes it makes me feel incredibly aggravated because you want to be able to kind of just enjoy an entire meal and sip on it slowly but like one bite too many and you're cramping over and you don't feel good and uh, that can get that can get a little bit difficult but 
you're grateful that you did the surgery, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, it saved my life. It's, it's to be honest, it's allowed me to explore different avenues of my comedy and grow as a person because I hid, I hid behind my weight a lot when I was bigger. Even in comedy, I did a lot of weight jokes. In the, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's what people go for when they're trying to find themselves and trying to build themselves. And they talk about what they know and they talk about what they relate to. So at the time, I was so enveloped by my weight that all I spoke about was my weight. Hmm. And I never allowed myself to explore other sides of my life for comedy. I was hmm. just focused on like sucking dick and like being fat and like, eh, eh. and it's been done before. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't growing as an artist and I wasn't allowing myself to grow as an artist. Cause I was, I was scared. I was very scared of being judged. I was scared that, you know, um, people would think it was like dated or old or this or that. But after I lost weight, like you, you realize with weight loss that there's a lot more issues and deeper issues you need to address than just your weight. Cause when you're big, you're just so focused on your size because it's what people see. So you think that's really what's wrong with you or, you know, it's the core of your issues. And when you lose all the weight, everything's going to be fine. And especially when you come from an immigrant family, weight is a big thing. So, you know, half the time you have your family telling you you're too skinny and you need to eat more and then they're feeding you more and you got to eat less because you're getting big. You're just a little bit big. And, you know, that kind of fucks with your head and gives you, you know, body dysmorphia inadvertently. And, uh, but with the weight loss, you know, I was able to allow myself to get into a relationship. I didn't allow anyone in before. It was very hard for me. So I convinced myself I had commitment issues. And when I lost weight, I had to, face that and be like oh it's not the weight that was stopping me from getting into a relationship it was me and the things I was saying to myself that were stopping me from getting into a relationship so you know but at the same time you're exposed to a whole new world of shitheads when you lose weight yeah it's a very it's a very vulnerable thing because you don't know what people's intentions are with you you have no idea oh yeah when you've been big your whole life because you're, you you're, you're still a fat girl inside. Uh, yeah, 100%. I'm 100% still a fat girl inside. And, and the thing with being the fat, funny girl is that you're the icebreaker. You're the jolly friend. You're not really seen as like a, most of the time anyways, you're either seen as like a fetish mm. or like a niche. So like people like big girls and people who like that type of women and make it known and it, and it almost feels fetishized. And then, you know, you lose... So you don't really see yourself as like a sexual object. Some people do, some people don't. I was one of those people that I didn't see myself as a, as a sexual possibility. So I was very comfortable about being myself. That, and that was the beautiful part of it. It's that because I wasn't focused on someone wanting me or thinking this or what are they going to, I was just always myself and I was always goofy and I didn't give a shit because I was fat. I don't care. So it gives you that strength and that confidence to, you know, build that a lot of people don't get and then you know you lose all the weight and you still think that people have those good intentions with you but all of a sudden they don't they want to have sex with you mm -hmm. very strange or you know some girls don't like you or, or feel threatened by you which is very strange and you've been fat your whole life and you're the fat friend who's the icebreaker you know like you're not so you're kind of thrown out to all these new social situations that you don't know how to react to and, and sometimes it gets dangerous like i've almost gotten in trouble a couple times this summer 
because I was too friendly on the street walking with walking with my friends and not knowing that some people are kind of weird and grogging like hi I'm Emma you know so yeah that's a different that's a hard situation you're saying like especially with your friends it's like you cannot be hot and be funny too well, I mean I have great friends but you know when you meet new people sometimes I mean, when you're sorry. big and you're funny you're very likable mm. it's very easy um and then when, when you're when you lose all the weight it's it's just it's just a different ball and you don't know what you look like either so even if people say you still see the same person in the mirror it gets better with time but like it doesn't really go away because you're still process you have you're dealing with years and years and years of seeing yourself a certain way mm. so like you don't you you don't get it you're just like oh yeah okay cool. yeah i i i i have a like a connection with that a little bit like growing up i've always been a skinny boy even mm. sometimes people still call me skinny even though i'm like 180 you know what mm. i mean like and, and I agree with you. Like you always think you're skinny, or you always always think you're big, because that's been draining your brain. And like you like you really just have to dig deep and believe in yourself and say, no, you know what, dude? No, you're good. You're okay now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think it's just being a human, dude. Yeah, just be happy, dude. You know what I mean? But now it's good. Now you know it gets better with time, but it's definitely like it, it's definitely a process. It's because mm-hmm. you lose the weight so quickly as well. So you lose the weight faster than your brain can process because you lose about one to two pounds a day. Oh, so in a year I lost 170 pounds. 170. That's a human being. Mm-hmm. That's like me on your back, and then suddenly you're like, by the way, get off now. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! How did you deal with that physically? Physically. I like a, like an elastic physically, physical was no problem at all. I lost weight really quickly. I, my, I don't have loose skin. It was great. Um, mentally very difficult, very, very difficult. Trial times. Well, yeah, because you know, you get your first rejection. So you're like, Oh shit. I thought everyone was going to love me now that I lost all the weight. So you mm-hmm. still, so you so now you it's almost like you're reborn into the to the real world of the average woman, this average smaller skinny woman, you know, because mm-hmm. that's not the world I was in. So a lot of you realize that a lot of what your friends go through and a lot of what my skinny friends go through is almost almost worse, you know, because we all have like social media pressure. But right now, social media is telling me that my curves are sexy and I need to embrace them, but. You know, women who are thin go through a completely different type of pressure and are forced to micro-focus on even the tiniest imperfections. I have beautiful friends who are smaller women, and they were just built that way, but they feel insecure because they don't have an ass, or they don't have breasts, or their lips aren't big enough, or their ears aren't big enough, or, or their nose is too wide, you know? And, like, that's torture for a human being. But when I was big, I... I I didn't have time to focus on my ears. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> Physically. Physically, yeah. So you're you're so not focused on ears or eyes or nose or boobs or you're just like I'm unhealthy. Hmm. But my other friends were dealing with a completely different type of pressure. And I, no matter what they did, if they had failed dates, if they had this, it's like, what's wrong with me? I've done all these things to my body, and like, still nobody wants me. So it's 
it's a very, both sides of being like a big person and a smaller person are very difficult. Like it's, you know, even if you're a man or, or a woman or you're, you know, non-binary, mm-hmm. you know, you just always question yourself when it comes to weight. No matter yeah, what. everyone, everyone has insecurities, you know? Yeah. And I don't like to pretend, I like, I never like to pretend that I was one of those people who like loved my body and like embraced it. I loved who I was as a person and I loved how I treated people, but like, no, mm. I was very unhappy. I was very depressed. I was very anxious. I, I felt trapped in my, in my body. I felt like I couldn't get out of it. You know, it wasn't a question of, was I beautiful? I knew I was beautiful for a big girl. Everyone told me, but I was like, I feel like I'm not living life I'm, I'm too big. I'm too tired. After I walk up the stairs, I'm exhausted. So I want to sleep. You, you don't have the energy to go out and club because you're tired. You know, you get, I was getting tired very quickly. So you don't have high energy levels and you miss out on, on a lot of things in life. If you're that type of person, I have mm. other friends who are big and beautiful and I, I envy them sometimes. And I admire them so much because I wish that I was like that, but I do know there is a bunch of women out there who feel like I do and feel a reverse pressure for not loving themselves mm-hmm. every single day. Cause it's impossible. Yeah. So I wake up every single day. Like you're going to have moments where you don't feel great about yourself. And I just think it's important for people to know that like, that's normal. It's just a day. I have it all the time. There's a lot of days I really don't like myself. There's a lot of days where I think I'm not a very funny comic. There's a lot of days where I'm wondering what I'm doing or I think I'm not worth love or it's mental health. It, it's it's fear, and like everyone deals with natural human emotions, no matter what size you are. You oh, know? definitely, it's ebb and flow. You can't be like happy all the time. You can't be done all the time. It has to be go up and down. The best way is figure out how can you stay in the middle as best as you can. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm definitely like much happier and much more stable now. But whenever it comes to like weight loss, I I always like to make sure that people know like. It's okay if you're a big woman and you don't love yourself like Ashley Graham does every single day. Mm. It's a really hard process for like any human being to practice like self-love. Like it's, especially when we're in a world where we're born to pretty much work for other people. We, we have kids to live for them. Like very few people truly live for themselves. Mm. Um, and that's why I just like to be very honest when it comes to that. Like, I don't want to preach things that weren't true to me. Like I was so happy there were campaigns telling me to love my body and it definitely helped and it definitely made me feel better, but it didn't change the fact that I wasn't happy in my skin and I felt like I couldn't fix it on my own, mm. no matter what, because my relationship emotionally with food was just so bad. Like in Greek culture, we, we eat when we're mourning, we eat when we're celebrating, we, we eat when we're fighting, we eat when we're like, everything is surrounded by food. So if I was having an anxiety attack back then, I would be like, oh, I need a Big Mac and a nice coffee right now. And sometimes I'll still have those urges. And sometimes I give in and I order it. I can't finish it, but it's a comfort thing. So, you, you, you know, it's, it's like, it's a like crack. It was my crack. McDonald's was totally a drug for me. Yeah, I completely agree. Food is a drug. And like you said, it's comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your comedy. How did you start? When did you start? What happened? So I, I started in 2016. I 
had always wanted to do comedy. I loved watching comedy. And one night when I was living in Toronto, my roommate was like, you need to stop being a pussy and just, <laughs> you need to go, like go up and do it. So I get super drunk, I get super high. And then I go on to this tiny venue in Toronto. That's like five people in the audience who were all comedians. So there was no one there. And I bombed for two and a half minutes. <laughs> and I was the happiest pig in shit you've ever seen. I was like, blah, blah, blah. like I just ran through my sex. I was so nervous. I'm like sometimes I went, I went down, I fart. Crazy. Were you prepared? Like, did you write things? Mm -mm. You just rambled? I still ramble. <laughs> I I still ramble. I've just I've I've accepted and owned the fact that this is my style. Mm -hmm. I'm not following a rule book. I don't care. I know the rules. I know the structure. I know the 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 three threes and the rule of three and all that kind of stuff. But I've only ever done bad when I was trying to adjust to a traditional style of comedy. And the truth is, is that like I'm a storyteller and I tell story about my life and stories that happen to me and comparisons and observations that I see and however it comes out, it's going to come out, but I always know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. um, I just believe in, in human connection, even in comedy. So I know that people will know if I'm not telling the truth, mm. like they, they, the audience can always tell, like if this is a fake joke or a real joke or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I always tell real stories that have happened to me and it's not a hundred percent real, a little bit embellished, but it's always based on my life experience. Like I can't just sit down and write about something that <laughs> hasn't happened to me. Oh, so you write on stage. Yeah. Like I, I found out, I found my style. Like for me, what I like to do is I just like to record it and then I rewatch it and I'll compare it to like, a set that I've recorded before and see what keywords I liked and plug it in there, see if mm -hmm. I could like say it differently. But I have other friends who can sit on a computer and just. Yeah. Joke day. writers. Joke writers all day. Long. And I'm, oh, I'm so jealous that they can do that. Yeah, but they're jealous about you telling the stories. I know we're all jealous of each other and that's just comedy. Yeah. That like like I said offline and I told you before that I'm a big comedy fan and like yeah joke writers are like boom pop like jabs jab jabs overhand right right like it's there all the time but I feel like storyteller comedians they're like it's a long drag situation and then overhand right knockout which I think I prefer yeah no I mean again like everybody has different different styles and. Um, I'm someone who appreciates all different styles of comedy, even if it's not my own. Mm -hmm. Like there's some really funny comics in the, in the scene that are like one liner comics that kill it or like musical comics and they kill it. I just, I like expressing my thoughts on like the day to day life. That's cool. And like the comparisons and the experiences that we have as human beings. That's what I really love to talk about because it's, I have perspective You know, like my observations as someone who's a late bloomer. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I like that. That's beautiful. So how disappointed were your parents when you told them you want to be a comedian? They weren't. No way. Awesome. They weren't. No, they were. My dad was very, very supportive. I obviously had like, feel like my mom was like, why don't you just be a dental hygienist in the West <laughs> Island? Like, Everyone's a dental hygienist in the West Island. But, um, you know, 
the I had I remember telling my dad I was on vacation and and I said I think I want to be a comedian and we were sitting by the water and and he just said honey I think that's a great idea Mm -hmm. that's awesome man but they like you know even for them now it's kind of it's funny and weird because you know they said I wanted to be a comedian they're very encouraging but they obviously wanted me to get a job work in marketing or work in something Mm -hmm. but my dad always had faith I'd be in entertainment like he had no doubts. Um, and they're the type of parents that kind of just like leave me, like they know that eventually I'll circle back and find my way and, and whatever. But I've, I've been really lucky. It's they, they say often though, that it's very weird that their daughter is now like a working comedian. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So how hard was it for you during lockdown so you can't perform? Um, it wasn't, I think it was hard without me realizing um, my, my, my boyfriend actually mentioned that to me is because like for comedians, you know, we get our validation from the audience. Um, it's our, it's our expressive creative outlet mm. to, to tell stories and to express ourselves. Like it's the best way we get our emotions out. So for a really long time, a lot of us couldn't do that. So there were online mics and, you know, some people took breaks, but, when the first lockdown happened, I, I was just, I was just very sad because I had quit comedy for two years. I mm. thought I was done. I didn't want to do comedy anymore. I, I thought I'd gotten to a point in my career where I was like, Oh, you know what? I, I did New York city. Like I did Gotham comedy club. And I killed at Gotham comedy club. And I know I, and I, I never wanted to be a comedian, like a famous one. I just wanted to say I did it. Mm. Even if it was for a little bit, I just wanted to say that I tried it. And if I'm not good at it, I won't be good at it. But I, I can't not, I can't die without trying it like once, you know? Yeah. And here we are now, but it's a, it's a, it's crazy. Like I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. That, that's awesome, man. You're killing it, man. I want to talk to you about cancel culture and how did it, how does it affect your comedy? Does it, does, or does it even affect you? Um, so far, so good. (laughs) So far, no one has canceled me, but I, I think how you position yourself is, is pretty important. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that the way that I treat people will show who is welcome and who is not. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I'm just careful. Like I don't put shitty people on my show. I don't put cancel worthy people on my show. I don't associate myself with them. I think that there's no reason to say things like there's a lot of topics. There's so many topics in comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things you could talk about. Emotional intelligence and knowing which topic is not your place to talk about is very important. So there's a lot of topics I just don't touch. I don't even, I don't have jokes about periods, for example. Mm. I don't need another joke about like, I, there are so many funny comics that have gotten period jokes. I don't have, I, I don't use it. I like to talk about my family. I like to talk about, you know, my culture. I like to talk about different things, relationships, but you know, there's certain topics that are like none of my business almost to speak about. And I think that's where can- cancel culture comes in. Sometimes this is always one person who's like, I could talk about something I have no right to talk about. Oh, but it's freedom of speech. No, no, no. It's like, no, man. Like, you know, you have so many life experiences. I'm sure that would be so funny. Mm. Talk about that. Or if you are going to talk about other cultures, like own it and talk about it from um, an intellectual, like intellectual 
point of view. You know, like you can make fun of Greeks, you can make fun of Asians, you can make fun of Turks, you can make fun of Lebanese people, you can make fun of anyone you want, but make sure it's tasteful and it's not actually malicious. It's, it's an observation about a culture. You know what I mean? Like Asian people don't age. I don't know how Filipinos, I don't know. But it's not, it's just a culture, you know, so you're addressed and everyone loves to laugh at their own culture. Hells yeah. But I mean, I'll kill you if you do a pedophile or <laughs> a distasteful rape joke, you know, like I hate pedophile jokes. I don't yeah. understand them. I don't know why it's always a bunch of dudes that are like, you know, what's relatable content? Your uncle. I'm like, <laughs> You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like, there's so many different topics you could talk about. You fight about. a hacky. It's not, it's not, I'm, I even hate the word hack. Mm. I fucking hate that word too. I don't like it. Why? It's just, it, hack. Like, <laughs> hack. I'm like, even the word, like, the people who say hack are like people who are bitter. That's what mm. I think of it. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that because. I've only ever heard people say the word hack come from bitter people that I know who are not getting stage time. I'm like that's hack. It's not hack. It's, I get it. It's easy. It's, it's all kinds of things, but it's just like not necessary is what I like to use. Yeah. I agree with that because I, I like listening to comedians, podcasts and whatnot. And sometimes they'll say, Oh, you know, crowd work is hack. Like it's a hack act. Like, yeah. And, and then, I bet that guy's not good at crowd work. And then most of their friends does crowd work. And then they'll say, oh, that's a great special. I'm like, Yo, you just said that's a hack move and you're saying that's a great, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't like that at all. And I, I just, I just think that, you know, keep your morals good. Just keep your head down, be kind to people, keep your standards where you want them and don't, don't apologize for it. Cause like, there's no reason to. But it's not my place to like make fun of somebody else in comedy, just trying to, you know, that I, that's how I feel about those types of jokes. But it's not up to me to go up to another comic and be like, hey, you're fucking hack. Like, <laughs> leave them alone and let them live their lives. Like if it doesn't affect your personal life. I love it. I love it. Do you have an opinion about the Mike Ward case? Do I have an opinion about the Mike Ward case? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I I think every comic is like good. Cause you no, know, I, I don't know. I, I honestly have to look into it, but from what I know, what I've read and the premise of the story, I I see both sides. I understand what this what this boy is saying, you know, like at that age, having a famous comedian make fun of you and the bullying that you get in school mm -hmm. is a lot. And I, I'm so sure of it. Now, in the grand scheme of things, there are worse things happening in this world. He was just making a joke. He met no one. He, he did not mean for this person to want to go off themselves. Mm hmm Of course. By no, by no means. But it is freedom of speech. It is comedy. You know, we all make it. It's jokes. It's meant to find belief. And that's the premise of the joke. Do I think that this went on a little bit too long for both parties? Yes. Should that person's career should be on hold? No. And I think people have said much worse. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Much, much worse. Coming Just from a fat person. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the... 
Just for the people that are listening, Mike Ward is a Canadian comedian who mocked a disabled singer. Uh, was it? He was a young boy, eh? Back then. Yeah, he was like 13 at the time, and he made a joke about him being disabled, and then this guy sued him for like millions of dollars, and Mike basically had to stop his career. Yeah, which is it was a very, you know, sensitive topic. That's why I wanted to ask you because you know you're a comedian. Yeah, well, I know what it's hard for me to give a concrete because, to be honest, I need to read up on it a little more to give my true opinion. Of course. But I just know how I feel about free speech in general. And it's that it's just, you know, people are going to say what they're going to want to say. People have said much worse in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know Mike tried to apologize. I know that he put in a lot of effort, but like, you never know, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that whole thing. I'm like, I got a conspiracy theory type of boyfriend. So I'm like, these people just want money. <laughs> but again, like I, I, from what I know, like Mike Ward was fighting for his right to tell comedy because, you know, as comedians, especially with the way the world is now, comedy used to just be a thing that you could address anything and make it funny. And now with cancel culture, you got to be very, very careful and, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes communities get policed. So, for example, L.A. right now, people aren't even enjoying doing comedy over there from what I'm hearing because it's people are policing each other and telling them what's right and what's not right. So no one can actually give perspective on certain topics that are harder. And that's our job as comics. It's to make difficult topics mm-hmm. a bit lighter or easier to understand in like a funny way. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to give a concrete opinion on the Mike Ward situation because I don't know enough about it, but I am happy. And I know that a lot of my peers are happy that he won because I don't think that it deserved, like, I don't think the entire situation deserved to go as long as it did at all. I agree. I mean, thank you for putting in your two cents. Now let's talk about your baby. I'm not talking about your gorgeous husband or your beautiful Dalmatian. We're talking about the Kickback MTL. Yeah. How did it start? Why did you start? Um, so it started, it, believe it, it started in July of last year. So this is when masks were still a personal choice, remember? <laughs> uh, and uh, it was right before the big lockdown happened. And back then I was just hookup buddies with my boyfriend and he was a DJ and I'm a comedian. So one day we were sitting on the couch and he was like, we should maybe throw a party. So I was like, Oh, maybe you could throw a party. He's like, yeah, maybe, you know, you can have a couple comedians and I can DJ after and let's just throw a party, you know? And I said, no, I was like, I don't want to work with this guy. I'm, I'm hooking up with him. If I, if I work with him, I won't be able to hook up with him anymore. And I'm only <laughs> looking for one thing. So he kept asking me, he kept asking me, he kept pushing, he kept pushing. And I finally said, fine, let's throw it. Mm. Now we're smoking a joint on the couch. I'm trying to figure out a name. What do we call this thing? What do we call this thing? There's like a YouTube video somewhere about the kickback, a kickback. And it's these guys doing a sketch. And he goes, you know, what if we call it the kickback? It's kind of like a, a chill vibe, very loose, you know, like let's, let's call it the kickback. It's, It's like an LA chill thing. I was like, okay. We called the kickback. We rallied 25 of our closest friends and Tinder matches. <laughs> and I, I mean, it sounds really shitty of us, but yes. No we way. Invited. You mm-hmm. just keep on swiping? Yeah. I mean, we were hooking up and we both invited our Tinder people that we've messaged or hooked up with on Tinder and they basically <laughs> paid us money to hook up at the end of the night. 
instead of buying me dinner, pay instead for the of buying ticket. Me dinner, buy a, buy a ticket to my to my show. I love it. I loved it. But uh, so and and the other motivation was is that um, we wanted to fundraise for for BLM. Mm. So we were our first show was going to be like this. Like let's throw a party, let's throw a show, and we'll donate all the funds to Black Lives Matter um, in Montreal. So that's what we did. And we rallied together 25 and it was really fun. It was supposed to be like a one-time thing. And then we donated the money and it was great. And then after that, our friends were like, well, are you going to throw another one? And I was like, mm-hmm. maybe. And so we did another one. And then afterwards, everyone was like, are you going to throw another one? And I was like, I don't know. And we throw another. So it was really just that, like it, it started as a one-time thing for our friends and now it's just grown into this magnificent beast. And I, I could not be prouder of the people who come to support us. Like I, I am so convinced I have the best crowd in Montreal and, and the most wonderful human beings because they're just, they're good people and they feel like friends. Like it feels like our group of friends and our family has just expanded mm-hmm. because they're just, they're kind and and they know that I love them all genuinely. I host every show and, <laughs> and I know everyone by name now and I know everyone by face. And then when there's new people, I make sure I meet them and I know their face too. And I make sure they know that they're appreciated and and loved. And even yesterday, you know, I had to end up paying for a venue. And I I had initially did the secret show as like a pay what you can. So I was expecting like five bucks from people or whatever. And then I kind of got blindsided by my neighbor and having to change everybody just gave me $20 and awesome. I was able to pay the venue. I was crying. Like I couldn't, I got messages to write today for sure. Cause uh, you know, you just, it, it's, it's incredibly rare to get that lucky. And I, I don't take that for granted at all. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I could cry right now talking about <laughs> it. They're just, they're just good people who come out and I, I'm, I'm, uh, very 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 touched by by how loyal and how kind they are like I, i've never had a bad customer like i've never had a bad person come i've only just mm-hmm. had very sweet sweet people yeah well deserved i mean you're sincere you're genuine you know what i mean that's why people want to help yeah i know it was it was really like it was very very touching that because again you know when you start a show just that's supposed to be a hangout and it's grown into something like this that's it gets to a point where it's out of your control and you just keep growing. And, and I, I think that's why I love the show so much. And I love the concept and what it stands for, because I really do believe that it's not difficult to be kind and it's not difficult to, to treat people well. And, you know, the kickback really is a product of, of Micah and I's love for treating people that way, you know, and, it's our personalities in a show and it's how we like to treat people all wrapped up in a show. So the fact that that is, you know, positively received and, and, you know, people reciprocate that. I'm, I just, I could die happy tomorrow. Knock on wood. Uh, yeah. We need you. We need you still. You mentioned before that English comedians in Quebec doesn't get paid as much. What does that mean? No. Well, so to, to explain it really well, we are in a French province, Sim- simply simply put, um, French entertainment will be prioritized indefinitely, right, over English. Yeah. Um, 
so there's a lot more sponsored shows in French. There's a lot more French comedy clubs. There's just, there's a lot more money in French comedy in general and even in corporate, you know, like you have French comedy. And there's nothing, there's nothing technically wrong with that. There's just nothing for the English side. Mm-hmm. And there's this big overshadow and this big cast that like Montreal is the comedy capital of the world because we host Just for Laughs. But we are just that. We are the hosts. Just for Laughs doesn't actually put in ample amounts of effort throughout the year that the festival isn't happening to to build up their their English communities. And I don't know what I don't even know what they're if they're doing anything for the French side either. But it's not their jobs to do that. You know, they are the festival, they're the biggest festival in the world. Their priority is money. And and you know, during the festival, obviously there's smaller scale shows for English for you know local talent, but you would think that if Montreal is the hub of comedy, we would have huge scenes on both sides and both would be fostered. So that's fine if they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to do it then. No problem. I want to. I want to. And I know I can. So I'm going to do it. I'll build, you guys don't want to build it and fund it? I'll do it. I can't do much right now, but I, I know in the future... I'll be able to build something that will make people want to come to Montreal to be an English comedian. That's you know, awesome. And, grow within that scene. And, and I'd rather do something like this now and have just for laughs, see the value in it and want it and want to mm. partner up with it. Mm-hmm. than you know, the not do it at all or, or try to compete or anything like that. I think my goal is really to show that there is a reason uh, to grow. And I, I think marketing is a big part of it as well. And branding and, just creating a good product. At the end of the day, big companies want a good product. They don't mm. care about your feelings. <laughs> they care about a product and they care about money. They don't care about how long you've been around. They don't care. Mm-hmm. If they see money and they see success, they're going to jump on it. I can see that. I can see that you start slowly growing this very loyal army of kickback MTLers. Man, you yeah. be- You'll be a, I'm t- like, I can see that. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. It's like the more you grow this loyal fan base, they cannot deny you. And they'll be like, yo, we need to partner up with these people or else. That's it. Cause you know, they're good people. And like I said, like, I really feel supported by, by the kickbackers. Uh, kick um, and so I know that if one day I open a club, I open a comedy club, for example, mm-hmm. and that's one of my dreams. I know that I'll have a, a sold out weekend, my first mm. weekend, because I have good quality human beings in my corner. And for only that reason, not because I have investors, not because I'll have sponsors, but because I have good people that know that I love them genuinely. And that I, I they know I make sure to look at them in the eyes when they walk into my door. Mm. You know, and I, I think that people forget about that a lot. I think that people forget to just make people feel good. So yeah, that, that's why I, if the show's going to be a success, it's going to be beca- like it's going to be because of the people that come and, and support us and, and love us. Mm, that's good. That's good. So if a person wants to join and go to Kickback MTL, what would they expect? <laughs> um, if they want to go to a Kickback, what to expect? So what you can expect is amazing comedy. So I, I book really good comics. I really wanted to create a new standard for comedy in Montreal as well, because, you know, we are all made up of independent producers. Hmm. We're all trying their best. Um, 
but there's no real, you know, there's, there were, there aren't a lot of rooms where you feel like you're getting somewhere in your career. And because I also have a background in business and I also have a background in marketing, I know that I have the capabilities to create that product of something like I could create a model and a structure of something that will make people feel like they're being, um, they're growing in their community. And I want the kickback to be a credit. I want people to be able to say that they've been on the kickback and have it mean something. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Before we end this, just one more question, if you don't mind. Yeah. If you will be successful between the two, do you prefer to be a successful comedian or a successful comedy producer? Ooh. (sighs) This is my answer. I really, truly believe that uh, no matter what I plan or prefer, God has his own plan. But what I know in my heart is that I've never really focused or been focused on being the star. Um, I've always found a lot of pleasure. So I'm one of the rare comedians who loves to host. I adore it. And and I think it's a testament to, to who I am and what I like to do. I like to make people happy. I like to give opportunities. Um, I like to build. So I, I think that I mean, if my career goes into that direction where I'm just a full-time comedian, sure. But I find so much more pleasure in my heart in producing. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I could be like a, a figure in my community to help people work and build and, and grow in their careers because of my background. So, you know, I, I really want to have a comedy club one day. Like that's a dream. I want to have my own comedy festival. Like, I want it properly filmed. Like, I just want people to to want to be in comedy and I want people to want to stay in comedy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to end up being in, in more of the producing side because, again, I, I want to work in comedy for the rest of my life. But if you only focus on being just a comedian, for me anyways, um, that that's a, a dangerous road to go on for myself. Because I want to be able to continue to do this at like 70, at 80. I want to have my name attached to comedy. And I know that in my case, that will mean um, that will mean producing. Because at one point, you know, not everyone's going to want to book a 60-year-old woman on stage. That's mm. just facts. There's, no one's going to want to book a 65-year-old man on stage either. But I could be the person that used to do it and owns the club and has passed the torch down so for me i I think my future is is in that again thank you for coming on eba i really do appreciate it it was such a and thank you for donating again yesterday dude you you made me cry too Ah, don't worry about it i mean like i I always i heard this saying that like always support the arts and i like that You're the best. No, it meant a lot to me. I was like, oh, he's not going to take no for an answer. And then I saw the email and I was like, no, no, dude. Aaron, but I will plan a show in the West Island. I promise. Yeah, for sure. Have a great day, buddy. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you again, Emma, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you listeners for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.